Hello! Welcome back to another episode of Soul of the Gold. Man, it has been a moment, and that's okay. Um, welcome your hosts. My name is Elisa Patterson, behavior analyst. I'm Kalulu Esther, speech and language pathologist. It's been a minute. It has. End of the school year for uh, school people. So we're just kind of crazy. That's <laughs> force. Just madness. Just madness. Yeah. Um, so last time we were together, we were talking about ABA and we were talking about how we love it when everyone else hates it. I love that summary of it, yeah. by the way. How I everyone mean, else hates yeah, it. Right yeah, we just give our perspective of it. I mean, I told you guys, like, I did ABA for eight years. I can, I have to stand by it. Yeah. We just got to accept the criticism and move on with life. Yeah. And, well, everything is perfectible. Yep. Um, today we have something totally not related. <laughs> I mean, it is related because everything is related in our minds, but, yep. um, today we're going to discuss mental health in the educational setting. Yep. Today we're going to like, we're going to like, I think just vent about how under, under radar it is, like, and how like no one looks at it. Yeah. Like with like. How important it is for us, but no one actually looks at it. It's slowly starting to, but it shouldn't. It, it should be further progressed. Yeah, and than where it is right now in well, the school setting. Well, it's a big jump before, like, you know, where like before no one asked kids how they were feeling, and now mm-hmm. we're kind of seeing it. And so now we're in the stage. I feel like we are the advocates for those kids, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna get to that next stage at some point, like the Jetsons, where the kids are gonna be like. <laughs> I need mental health. Thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> that it's just, I can just talk about it openly. I, I'm having a depressive episode right now. <laughs> like, help, I need my tools. Yeah, help, yeah no kidding. So, please stay with us. We're going to have a guest that knows uh, more than us. Of course, we know nothing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, stay with us. All right, so on to our topic talk. Like Miss Kalu had mentioned, we have a very special guest with us. So super excited that she was Yay. able to join us, Miss Becky Lewis, and our favorite school psychologist, educationally related mental health services provider to talk um, about for short acronym. <laughs> I know. Um, to talk about mental health services as related to the educational setting. So, welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Becky, Rebecca, fine? Becky's fine. Okay, go introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How do you ended up uh, doing this? Tell us a little bit about you. Okay, so um, I'm Miss Becky. (laughs) (laughs) And I have been practicing as a school psychologist for almost 20 years. Wow. Next year will be 20 years. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Yeah, it's been a journey. And I have been passionate about psychology and mental health almost my entire life. Um, affected by family members who have been affected by mental health, affected with my own mental health, um, see the importance of mental health and how it's connected to our physical health and our social emotional health and our academic health and our (laughs) community health. And so um, it's something that is part of my life. It's, you know, weaved into my heart and my soul. And um, here I am practicing 20 years later in 
you know, working and with little ones. You and... got yourself a good fan club. Like, we love working with you, Vicky. Yeah, like, absolutely. You're an awesome <laughs> school psychologist. Like, you are helping us. Like, you have been helping us understand more, like, sides of what's going on with our students. And we really love that. Especially with, as you mentioned, like, the, that mental health component has been such a passion for you. You don't see that a lot with school psychologists. That's true, and I, I appreciate that, and I really love working with you both as well. It's been, we're, we're like the best team ever. Uh, <laughs> I do have to say that I, disagree. I, <laughs> I haven't always had the opportunity to provide mental health services mm -hmm. and work in a mental health capacity. So, you know, traditionally school psychologists were hired and we were psychometrists. That's all we did. We mm -hmm. assessed and we uh, identified and we worked on eligibility. And that was the majority of what we did because we were so short staffed that that's what we had to do in special education. But we were given the opportunity a few years ago by someone who saw how skilled a school psychologist can actually be and providing mental health services, um, which is differentiated for students who have special needs. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were given the opportunity, psychologists that wanted to, to take on a caseload and provide mental health services. And when that happened, it was like such a, it was like, you know, the butterfly emerging from the cocoon, like, oh, Aww. I finally get to do what I, what I thought I was going to be doing as a school psychologist. Um, and so, Naturally, like I wanted to brush up all my skills and get reacquainted with all of the really important things regarding mental health. And um, it's just been a journey ever since with my students and with my peers. And I, I love it. That's awesome. I love it. I, I, do, <laughs> I, I do feel like if you have old school psychologists only like taking measures, that's why you said psychometry, uh, taking measures of the students, like you're like losing skills there. Like they're mm -hmm. like, of course you guys are like, you know so much about so many things and you yes. have a like a broad understanding of everything that's going on in our students lives and stuff and you have access to some things that we as school service providers we we would never know like we don't have that access to parents that access to the private not private but the, the things that are super important for our kids sometimes because we don't have time or we have some specific service to provide or we just like need to run mm -hmm. to something else and it's kind of like impressive to me that no one thought about that before. Right? Or, sorry no, to interrupt you, I was going to say that they've stretched you guys so thin in just doing the testing, forgetting that you guys are trained in so much more, that right. they can utilize you guys in so much more of a count. And not to add work to you, but to recognize your guys' skill set and what you bring to a school site. Right. You hit the nail on the head. And I, like, over, you know, the entire course of my career, it had been mostly that main frustration is I'm trained to provide these types of services and I want to work with students. And so my, my time with students was so limited, like, okay, we're gonna meet, we, we test, you don't really know me in any other capacity. Um, and, and then my time with this individual would end, knowing that I've just identified them perhaps as needing mental health services. So um, when it transitioned, it was, it was a happy moment, <laughs> to say the least, that 
you know, now we finally get to use this toolkit. Um, and also we get to do what we really dreamed of doing when we went into the business itself to begin with. Um, and that is to support students in their mental health, no matter what their ability is, no matter how differently abled they are, no matter what their identification is, everybody deserves to access it if they can. Love it. Price. Love it. <laughs> well, you can tell we're fun. I know, right? And, and I have like so many other tangent questions oh, that I, perhaps I, I, it'll I, be I, like, uh, yes, right? Well, our the people, the few people that listen to our uh, podcast know that uh, this is all because we're passionate. We'll be talk- we could be talking about this all day. And um, Miss Becky, uh, it's one of us in that matters. Like, <laughs> it's it grabs our souls. Yep. So you were um, before you were just like measuring kids, and if, how frustrating if you would like you would see some mental health issues and you'd be like, bye, see you never. But Hope you're doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I can bet you were like asking service providers like, how is he doing? How is she doing? Yes, exactly. Like, I, I know how you are. Yeah, I had a, a colleague uh, describe it pretty perfectly as um, unzipping a child's mental health and then letting them walk out of your office unzipped. Oh, my God. And it's the worst, <laughs> most frustrating feeling in the world to have worked with a student identified that there are these emotional needs, there are these mental health needs, and they walk out of your office unzipped, and then you're not certain that those mental health needs are going to be met. And so uh, when we transitioned into this where, okay, I'm measuring maybe what your mental health needs are as far as levels of anxiety or depression, um, and then perhaps I have the opportunity to help you work on that and support that. Um, it's a completely different feeling, totally. Right? Especially if if you know what's going to happen, then in the moment you you know that you can provide that support for the student, and it just you can zip them back up before <laughs> they walk out, and that that feels good. That's awesome. It's that like full circle moment exactly. where like you assess them, you determine the need, and mm-hmm. you get to address it. You don't just hand them off to like mystery land yeah bye good luck yeah and not to say that any skilled psychologist would to begin with like you definitely want to you know zip them up so much to speak that they can go back to class um (laughs) yeah yeah, for sure (laughs) like in the overall picture like if we're if we're finding that a child has like mental health goals that need to be set for Mm -hmm. example um, what a good feeling to know that you're going to be the person that has the opportunity to provide that. For or you. at yeah. least they are reading. They have to be met. Yes. Like someone has to take them. Yeah. Not like, oh, Jack, right. contact someone and they'll help. Right, you. exactly. So now that you have the ability, because I know that if I would sit it in, a, like I was not here that time where you were not providing. So I could have like, can you imagine being seated in a meeting where like a school psychologist says like, oh yeah, they are, mm-hmm. they are cursing a, like a depression. Bye. <laughs> and it's like, Ugh. so who's going to tell me how to address it? Like as a speech. Right. But now, uh, now that you can, so who are you? So you determine the need of it. Like you are the one that says these kids need, right. this kid needs mental health services. Well, if they're being assessed for the possibility of an IEP, then I would essentially be the person to identify if there was some type of mental health need. Um, But, you know, 
there there have been times in the past where as a child has shown high levels of anxiety or depression um, but doesn't necessarily qualify under that type of disability like having an emotional mm. disability and I think that would probably be one of the most frustrating situations is the lack of support that we've had historically for students who have mental health difficulties and so a perfect example would be you know um, before you and I started working together we didn't have a school counselor for example mm -hmm. and we oh, didn't have mental health clinicians and so basically if they didn't qualify under an emotional disability we were sitting in these meetings saying this child not only has a primary disability of autism or a primary disability of a specific learning disability they also happen to have high levels of depression or have clinical levels of anxiety uh, and then and then what like what do we do we would refer out for community-based services mm. or you know and and it was um, a disconnect between a, a service that should have been provided in the educational setting and just wasn't because of lack of personnel so mm -hmm. I remember those days yeah yes. you know over the course of time we're taking baby steps in the right direction where we do now have service providers you know if for example we have a um, a school counselor who can provide services to any student mm -hmm. on campus in, in the form of groups or individual services. Um, we do have a mental health clinician that sees some students and then we have myself for students on IEPs who qualify for educationally related mental health services. So there are those like at least three different types of services for kids that need uh, mental health support. Mm -hmm. How are they different? Yeah, so um, it's all about access, really, and um, if you're on, I, on an IEP or not. And so um, typically what happens is if a child needs services and they're not on an IEP, then they start off in the kind of intervention hierarchy of being able to access the school counselor. Yeah. Uh, and if they are in that setting and they don't really make significant growth, then perhaps they can access the mental health clinician if they qualify. Okay. And if they're in that setting but are in need of a more individualized kind of plan based on the possibility of having a disability, then they would be assessed to see if they would qualify for educationally mental health services. So, ERMS. Yes. Um, big. That goes, that cannot, that it's not a standalone service. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so it gets really tricky because it, it is have, kind of tricky. Yeah. That's so, like behavior. Right. Behavior, uh, yeah. Totally. You, you know, not a standalone. Like, so I'm a standalone speech. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's my only like thing. I'm like, I can work on my you own. Can I, I, I could be like, Oh, these are all the needs and no one else cares. I'm like, I care. Like, it's just... Right, right, right. Yeah, but I, that's frustrating. And that is where it becomes really tricky because yeah. if you... Let's say that you you would possibly qualify for education-related mental health services, but you have no other disability and mm. you don't qualify under emotional disability, mm. then you don't really necessarily get to access that service. Oh. Which, which is a bummer. It is a bummer. But, um... Yeah, but anyways, like, sorry, but I'm going to address you, Alisa. So you, like, yeah, let's say that's the case and it's tricky, but they have other two options that you name that they could get, like, some kind of help or at least someone, like, looking over them. What happens with you? Like, what happens when a kid has, like, behaviors and they don't qualify under anything else? They have to at least qualify for an IEP. So if not, 
that's it. There are no other interventions in place. I can provide suggestions, oh. recommendations, but until, and again, this could be very, you know, district specific because I know of other districts that have BCBAs that do cover general education. They don't okay. have to be on an IEP. They just help around. They just help around, provide services, that sort of thing. But currently, behavior intervention services, having a behavior intervention plan, the student has to qualify for an IEP. And then within that, somebody has to be this also the, 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 like a lot of paperwork. Yes, that's that's what it really is. That's what it is. <laughs> it is kind of like you guys are in like yeah, like the way you use tricky situations. Yes, because and our we're passionate. Like we want to help. Like we're like, oh, this kid needs help, and I'm here. They right. need help, but all of these politics, the uh, paperwork, yeah. the boxes. Bureaucracy. They say I. They, they say, I can't help you. I'm sorry. Oh, totally. And it's a, just kind of a recipe for disaster later down the line. So mm. let's say, for example, that you have a student who's on an Arctic IEP, okay. an articulation IEP. And so um, basically that student is not going to be seen by a mental health clinician because they're on an IEP, right? And so um, if they are assessed for ERMS and happen to qualify for ERMS, if they're exited, yeah, they if they learn how to say the R's, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> then that's they also annoying. happen to lose an important mental health service. And so our hope is that if they do lose that service, then it would be then recaptured by the general education system. Um, but the fact of the matter is that it's a service that has goals attached to it, mm -hmm. and you know it's um, it's intense. It's a tier three service, and so. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, it would be a little bit frightening, I think, to let go of a student who's yeah. being exited off of an Arctic IEP and has to transition back into that mm. yeah. tier two. But, mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, to decide is to say that the age that they need uh, arms the most is the age that they are done with speech. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. That's right. It's true. Yeah. No, it's true. You hit you hit on a, like an important part of that for sure. Yeah, teenagers. I mean, preteens. <laughs> yeah. I call them. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Uh, that was like very enlightening. <laughs> I know, right? And I yeah, love how you describe because I was like, "Yep, that's tier one. Yep, that's tier two. Yep, that's tier, tier three. three. <laughs> and that's for everyone else listening. That's a, like um, a little piece of how our lives are when we have to listen uh, to Becky go through reports we just are quiet and listening <laughs> like she has so much to share and such a good way to say it so we're just like tell me more please mm -hmm. um okay so let's move on to uh another like thing that um we are all related to it's uh the dual diagnosis mm -hmm. so maybe you've seen it because you deal with the behavior so maybe you've seen how this is like how going autism adhd mm -hmm. anxiety how it's all very comorbid. Yes. And how do you tease out? I think that's the biggest joke, and yeah. I'll let you talk about it. How do you tease out what is autism mm. and those symptoms related to autism and anxiety, especially as they start to get older? Yeah. No, and you see it too when you look for the antecedent. Like, it's like, like same. It's like, uh, is this kid just being like frustrated or impatient, or is he suffering from anxiety episode? Like he's truly having a moment yeah. where how can we help him ha like move through his moment 
without being as destructive as possible. Yeah. But yeah. Right. Such a big topic, right? <laughs> I know, right? We're all big topics. I'm a little intimidated by this topic, but it's because it's such a huge topic to tackle. But in general, like, it's what we deal with a lot. Like, with the increase that we see in autism, especially with the spectrum that we see, the different needs mm-hmm. that we see. Um, I think we could all share, you know, belonging to the same team that um, we do see the comorbidity between autism, ADHD, and anxiety, and we see it increase as the child gets older, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's because there's an increase in social demand and an increase in academic demand and an Mm. increase in emotional demand like right around fourth grade our students who are a little bit more aware might start to recognize that they're a little bit different i was gonna say do they is it related to like they start to oh recognize they're a little bit different or recognize that um you know building peer relationships are really challenging and they have a desire to have friends but not really sure how to get there and so when we dial up that demand, we dial up that anxiety, that mm-hmm. anxiousness. And one thing that we know about anxiety is that the more anxiety that we feel, um, the large amounts of anxiety can lead to depression, which can be super scary. Uh, and depression can even lead to suicidal ideation, which is even more scary. And so, um, especially having experienced the pandemic, if you've already been experiencing, you know, in your core persona, some type of challenges with socialization, if you happen to be Mm. on the autism spectrum, um, you also happened to get all the way dialed up with your anxiety. Oh, yes. All the way dialed up with your depression. And so... We've seen it. Absolutely. So we come back to this in-person setting and we've got a population of students who need mental health support first, right? Yep. Because even us as adults came back and went, whoa, I'm not feeling right. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's that, um, that core perspective of needing connectedness. And if we're not connected, then we are kind of floating out in the universe, not identifying with ourselves, not identifying with our people. And that's also really anxiety producing to feel that disconnectedness. And so Mm. this population was especially um, kind of, you know, mm, susceptible to Mm. more levels, extreme levels of compromised mental health because of it because they were already dialed up and then it was just like off the charts when they when they had to come back and so um comorbidity not only existed before because academic and social demand was difficult on this population um but it's even more difficult now after you know creating a situation where we had to prioritize physical health and in turn, our mental health, their mental health became ultimately compromised. Attention, ADHD kind of falls under the umbrella of autism yeah. because of just, you know, having those neural pathways that are established to be high interest. And mm-hmm. so it's hard to attend to things that yeah. 
are boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to talk to me. Someone, one of my kids today was like all about Egypt. So if yeah. you're not talking about Egypt, I don't care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to attend. And then like attention is the glue that binds all that auditory processing together. So if I'm not listening to what you're saying because it's boring me then I'm also not going to encode it and I'm not going to retrieve it and then it's totally. just not there yeah so um but yes. that's but that awesome anxiety it. piece it's is high 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 and I do think that with a certain you know subpopulation of our children who are already on the spectrum already dealing with anxiety it has potentially um led to depression as well and I like the approach you're uh, like taking with like the pandemic and all this like all this time we've been like mental health mental health mental health even when the thing were where things are happening in like i don't know social media or even the oscars like i know we all know what happened at the oscars yeah yeah mental health like yeah wake up or whatever and we're like no one cares that not even with the pandemic our kids that they don't know how to socialize or they don't know how to communicate and need because they are in the spectrum mm -hmm. that doesn't mean they don't want to exactly and yep. you can tell sometimes they are like yelling at you because they are like i just want you to understand what i want to say right mm -hmm. but right. they don't know how and i'm like that's such like uh a group that's like like forgotten yeah in a way it's like no we, how am i gonna work with a kid that's non-verbal if like he does not socialize because he's autistic and it's like uh, uh he does not socialize because he's autistic so he doesn't know how right uh. and i you know and i just to touch on that i hate it when you know and it's even embedded in like our assessments and our rating scales and our mm -hmm. language that we use in general with this population they prefer to play alone they prefer yes. to be alone it's like it's not really preferred But it might be easier because it's... Easier it's, for sure. Yeah, because maybe we're dialing down anxiety if we don't have that kind of social demand where we're not really absolutely sure how to navigate. You know, yeah, and then sometimes they feel like you are not triggering them in their in their anxiety if you don't mm -hmm. push them to play with friends. But sometimes they just like, it would be so much easier if you help me play right. with friends. Sure, mm -hmm. exactly. And we are uh, the advocates of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that whole word choice thing, by the way, because that could be a whole other podcast. Because I agree. Is it preferred or is it right. we just think it is because that's what they do because that's what they know. Right. And that's why oh. and no one has tried to like approach it. So, yeah. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like non-compliance and, and self-advocacy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's my new motto. Like, oh, this rating scale has been renormed and it's just been released. And I know they're going to change that word from preferred. Nope, they didn't. No, <laughs> no. You better write a strongly <laughs> lettered email to yeah, those that's writers. Right, that's right. <laughs> and then you know what? It's like that miracle we had. Uh, we all shared a student uh, a few years ago that he had no means of communication. I uh, talk about him. And then one day after a lot, a lot of practice and like years of like a lot of practice, even during COVID, he said to me using his uh, speech generating device on an iPad, uh, he said, Miss Kalu, I feel frustrated, frustrated, I need a break. And I was like, you're out of like, you're like, yeah. you're exited. I was like, you don't need me wow. anymore. But I'm like, so before that, he was a high case for Alisa here because his behaviors were like, like high he was a huge guy like hitting kicking yelling like give him away and he was like i'm frustrated i just don't want to like share and i was like okay go and do your own thing and 
never yelled again, never hit again, and that was it. Yeah. And it's not that he did not want to share, but because if not, he would have said that earlier. But it was those times where he wanted to be alone and he didn't have a way to do it. On the other times, he was fine so being social. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, he loved, loved to it. dance. He we did parties. It. So it's it's pretty amazing. It is. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's amazing. Like, once once you give the child the opportunity to communicate, I should say, once you give the child the opportunity to be heard. Ooh. And then... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're like, we are on fire. Oh. Okay, so just to touch on a small, small thing that I found... Um, so the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund. So we do feel that our students are being underserved. Is that a... Absolutely. Okay. And we were thinking about, like, we were talking about this before um, our, like, recording and stuff. And I was like, we were like, okay, but let's check. And it's not all, only what we feel. So California has a whole study on yes. Yes. They found... Uh, that uh, in the state of California, so California has failed to effectively monitor to its delivery of mental health services to children, uh, yep. especially children with disabilities. And there's like many reasons, like I could even like post this at the description of our episode. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> but uh, just to touch on it, like it is an actual issue. It's not that like most of the things we... It's not just us venting. Yes. Yeah. It's so not just that's us what venting. I was about to say. Like we vent a lot about of things that are frustrating for us on an everyday, ba- everyday basis. But uh, yes, this is a whole, at least on the, it's a state issue. Right. And I've heard it, you know, be referred to as an absolute mental health crisis. Mm. Um, and it's because... Well, one of the things that exacerbates the situation is that we're just completely understaffed, right? Yes. Uh, and so it was I mean, kind of like this wave of mental health is coming and everybody's like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Everybody needs mental health support. What are we going to do? And we, so we, you know, put a few people into place, but it's still, we're still getting slammed by the wave. That, and you know, like... As a proof, like every time I walk into your office, you're like in the middle of these towers of papers and you're like, I do, I have so many assessments. (laughs) And knowing you, like I know you just want to be, do what's right for all the students, but it is a lot, like it's underserved. And yes, COVID uh, put like a lens on it. It was like, yes, like, oh, this is important because you know what? We had kids that had some anxiety, depression before COVID and this just increased it. Mm -hmm. And then we had kids that were like good and now they are like feeling like bad because they don't know how to like be at school. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And I would say that like, you know, maybe like five years ago, 10 years ago, I would have come from that school of thought where I... I kind of drew a line in the sand and said, you know, I can't be a service provider to this student because, um, you know, I have, I, I have too much. I can't effectively provide a service for them. But the fact of the matter is that our whole community is understaffed. Yeah. Our, our, our whole educational community, our whole, you know, town, city, nation, we're, we're understaffed when it comes to providing effective mental health services for students. And so... Maybe back then I would have thought, mm, not so sure, but now I'm like, everyone could benefit from mental health services, especially after what we've been through, right? Yeah. It's a little bit more flexible and trying to be, um, you know, more supportive in any way that I can. 
in providing the service for a yeah. student. And you're awesome at it. Oh, thank you. Yep. <laughs> so okay, you. to move to the last like piece of our topic talk, because it's true, like, only mental health? Oh, we could be... Oh, my God. I had, like, so many other questions, like, yeah. and I was like, like just <laughs> just note them. Just note them. That'll be another episode for another day. I can because... see you in years. Okay. I hope we get to come mm-hmm. back. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, last question for this kind of portion. How do you address mental health with different needs populations? Okay, so this is a wonderful, beautiful question because there is an entire population of individuals who believes, for example, that students maybe who are on the spectrum can't access mm-hmm. mental health services. Mm-hmm. And so um, they kind of like are an automatic DNQ, which means does not qualify for health mental <laughs> health services. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that I, I probably leaned towards that <laughs> uh, years ago. And then I got to experience in this whole learning journey of mine, um, a student who is on the spectrum, who happens to have mental health needs, who benefits from mental health needs. And I had to be uh, really introspective in how could I provide mental health services to a differently abled student, a neurodivergent student, who does have difficulty accessing things like emotion. Mm-hmm. And so um, my approach shifted to the whole core concept that there are certain things we need in order to have a healthy mental health perspective. Like what makes us feel alive? What makes us feel healthy? What makes us feel happy? And so even though the approach may be different for a differently abled student or a neurodivergent student, the end goal is the same. So for example, connectedness, that's like the number one thing. We need to feel connected. We need to feel connected to ourselves, our identity, um, you know, our esteem, but we also need to feel connected to our friends, to our community, um, to our peers, to our teachers, to our service providers, whatever the case may be. Even just one meaningful connection can change the entire course of a child's thinking. And so um, when you think of differentiating that for you know a child on the spectrum, it's about building meaningful relationships, right? And so how can I make this child, how can I help this child to feel connected to themselves and to their community? And that's the approach, not understanding the dynamics of like a psychoanalytical approach. What happens to you when you're in mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We don't need to go there. We don't need to dissect any of that. We just need to support the child in feeling connected to their own identity and to building meaningful relationships with others, right? And then, you know, if you think about the population of students who perhaps are um, cognitively impaired, mm-hmm. how can I connect with this child? It's all about kind of a a give and receive. You know, we hear people talk about all the time that social emotional reciprocity is so important. Well, the reason why it's important is because it connects us with people. Mm -hmm. And so even, um, you know, on a very kind of primary level of connectedness, if we're going to say that a child who's, um, you know, has some type of cognitive deficiency that really keeps them from accessing the dynamics of mental health services, then you know, we could play a game of peekaboo with the child. Right. 
Right? Like, that's meet them where they're at. Yes. Yes. Meet them where they're at. Exactly. And so that's where, like, the team approach for mental health is really mm-hmm. powerful and magical in that when we have these meetings where we come together and we know that there's a need here. Like, we see a student who's in our Mod Severe programming and they're depressed. Yeah. We come up with ideas on how to connect with the child where they can reciprocate and feel love. And we know that just in that dynamic alone, we have also increased their mental health. And so with their communication ability, with speech, like just having that interaction and that reciprocation, with their ability to communicate through behavior and being understood, heard, or, (laughs) you know, being able to express themselves and be acknowledged and validated, like everything that every human actually needs if we meet them where they're at, then we're the perfect team to address mental health, no matter what the ability happens to be. It's true. I agree with that. And I think that's the beauty of like having like an open team and people that's passionate about what we're doing. Right. Not mm-hmm. that we are like any like superheroes or anything like it. I don't like that approach. I'm like, but if I know that at least the two of you care, yeah. We can take We're this good. student somewhere. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So for our case discussion, our little gossip. Gossip, gossip talk. Um, <laughs> kind of touched on this already, but getting a little bit more specific on how a lot of people will say that Uh, a learner that uh, is on the spectrum, autism spectrum, that they don't need mental health services um, because they have autism. And how can they access that? How would we know? Can you give us a a good example of kind of debunking that myth? Sure, sure. Yeah, so, like, this is, I mean, there's a definitive, like, school of thought who supports the fact that this population needs the support I guess it's, you know, kind of how do you approach this support that becomes more kind of gray area, right? Um, And so, um, you know, like I said, like I I became really introspective about how can I provide this support in, in a way that the student can access it wants to access it right because we have a population that's like do not take me out of class (laughs) i don't want no one to notice that i'm like i do not need to talk about my feelings and i'm not going to talk about them with you um but how can we increase and support a child's mental health um who doesn't necessarily have access to their own feelings and so like i said like you know um prioritizing it um communicating with your team and then also approaching it in a way where it's valuable to them. So for example, I have a student who needs to feel connected and doesn't know how, and so we work on that. And Mm. someone might say, but that's a social goal to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? It's also a mental health goal because we know that the end result from feeling connected with someone and building a relationship with someone is that your mental health also benefits from it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I love about um, my one of my teams and one of my sites 
is that when we get together, we have the opportunity to like tag on to each other's goals, for example. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, essentially we could have a goal where we have BCBA psychologists and speech all working on the goal because mental health is connected to communicative health. It is connected to behavioral health. It is connected to physical health and to academic health. It is health. so central. I it's don't know so why central. it's been so underrated. Right. And so, like, a, you know, a perfect example is we had a meeting where, you know, um, we had a student whose mental health was extremely compromised. Yeah. And um, when I was able to express, like, mental health is going to be our priority for now, protecting the mental health of this child who was having suicidal ideation, the team was in complete agreement that no human being can function effectively with any other aspect of their life without having a stable perspective on their mental health first. And so even as like an adult human being, we can think about a time where we were grieving someone or um, we had an argument with someone and it hurt us and then we were expected to go to work. Yeah. And produce. And we just couldn't. That just wasn't the case. Um, if you can think of a child who's experiencing that for most of their academic career or their day, mm. then they're not going to access anything else either. Yeah. And so mental health just has to be a priority. Everything trickles down after that. I and love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that that became the priority. Like, hello, how can it you was, learn? It was amazing because, like, uh, I remember this is a case that uh, the three of us shared at some point, but now it, it was only uh, Becky and me. Um, and you were actually super worried about it. And then, Alisa, you and me have touched before in our uh, podcast how like our egos have to be left like mm-hmm. out of the cases and it's so important to be in front of a team that it's not like no like my goals are the most important or what I'm doing is what's gonna change this kid's life when it's not what you do it's their mental health that's gonna prevent them to do anything else if mm-hmm. we don't tackle that first yep so, so egos need yeah. to be out <laughs> yep I so appreciate having a team that understands that because I've also experienced having a team that doesn't oh, get oh. it. So mm. are you going to share a bad example of what What can happen to a student who doesn't have that kind of support? And so I, I do have a student who also um, uh, we should be prioritizing mental health. And I've reached out to the team and have said, you know, um, the academic slide that the student is experiencing is, you know, most likely attributed to their current mental health status. And so if we could all kind of rally and support the child and the student in their mental health, everything else is going to kind of, you know, trickle down effect, um, from that. And, um, the reception was not as welcoming as my other team. And it was kind of like, um, you know, we just think that he's lazy, he's unmotivated, um, Mm. when actually, like, he was experiencing clinical levels of depression that were really, you know, frightening and compromising. Um, And so in that moment, I was able to kind of stand back and see the transparency and the understanding of the importance of having a team that truly understands 
the value and the importance of prioritizing mental health. That is super sad. Um, you can't access anything else until you've been able to deal with those kind kinds of demons first. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. If you're clinically depressed, if you're anxious, nothing else is accessible. And... I think that we've all experienced that. So it shouldn't be that hard to put yourself in that right. position. Like not maybe yet to that extent where you like cannot function, but we all have those sure. periods of time where we're like not feeling ourselves. Well, mm-hmm. we, were, we, were, mm-hmm. we were all in a pandemic. Like we all know how it's to feel down and not willing to do anything else. Right. I think sometimes the adults forget like if we're experiencing this, but we're adults mm-hmm. and we've learned those tools how can we put those same expectations on the kids? Oh, right. they'll just get through it. Right. No, ma'am. No, no I, sir. He's lazy. He's lazy. Like, that's no. me. Oh, I, I don't, hate hearing I that. Don't I like don't like that word. No. Like, he's just lazy. lazy. He's not motivated. He doesn't want to do that. No. Yeah, well, he's... it's when they say, like, yeah. he's never on task. I'm never on task. <laughs> <laughs> I am never on task. Don't take my right. momentary yeah, time sampling like, data. And just because most of us have experienced a mental health crisis, which was temporary, mm-hmm. you know, some adults tend to latch on to that, like, this was my experience, and yeah. so their perception is distorted. But what we have to realize is that this experience for this student is likely not as temporary as ours was. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't deal with that first, then everything else just kind of falls to pieces. I agree. Well said. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Oh my gosh, Becky, so excited about our discussion. We could have gone on like another two hours talking about all of this. Thank you so much for being with Thank us. Thank you for having me. Yes, that was this amazing. Was such an honor. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Okay. And as we say our goodbyes, and you guys, please join us again for another episode whenever, whenever we that happens. do it. Yeah. And to leave us with some um, knowledge thoughts, what would you like our audience to remember from? Our discussion here yeah, today. What's the, what's the salient point that we want to leave behind, right? Yes. Well, I I was just thinking of this that old proverb where the man was standing on the beach and all of the starfish had washed up onto the beach, thousands and thousands of starfish, and he was picking them up one by one and tossing them out back into the ocean. Um, you know, and that analogy comes to mind when I'm thinking about mental health and we talked about that wave of needs, you know, and all mm-hmm. of these starfish just washed up onto the beach and all of them need to be thrown back into the ocean. And somebody walks by him and goes, you're not making any difference at all. And he picked one up and he tossed it way out into the ocean. He said, I made a difference for that one. Oh. And I feel like that's my team. That's you both. Aww. That's me. That's anyone that has the opportunity to interact with any child at any time. If you can increase their feeling of connectedness, connect, connectedness, yes, <laughs> and esteem, and show them some love, and toss them back into the ocean, then then you've actually benefited their mental health. Like, you know, you've you've been a, a part of it, Aww, a part that. of their journey. Acknowledge someone, you can make a difference. Exactly. Yeah. Okay.
Thank there's you so a lot much. of starfish, but yeah. you make a difference for every single one that you just interact with and throw back into the ocean. I love that. Thank you so much, Becky. Thank, Thank you. For you. Me. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.